Well, this morning, I'm glad to share God's Word with you, and I'm going to ask you to take your Bible, if you have a copy of God's Word with you, and turn to the book of 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 1. We're going to look at a couple of verses there in just a minute. But as we do that, I want you just to think back about the last nine months, this year we've called 2020. (laughs) It's been a crazy year, right? Probably unprecedented in the craziness and chaos of what this year has looked like. If someone would have stood up here last October and told us what 2020 was gonna be like, none of us would have believed it. None of us would have believed the craziness and and chaos that have happened, this happened in the midst of this year that we've lived in. Who would have ever believed a year ago that there would be people armed against each other in some of the cities of our country uh, and, and creating violence and looting businesses and burning businesses and destroying public property and personal property and attacking one another and destroying human life. I mean, and that police would just stand back and watch it because their hands were tied and they couldn't do anything about it. We wouldn't have believed that. That, that just couldn't have happened. In the midst of everything else, I, I had a dream. I'm not a prophet, okay, I just had a dream. Uh, one night I had some bad pizza or something, I guess. I had a dream that we had an earthquake in Longview and the worship center split in half. And me and the maintenance guy were going, how do we get the carpet back together? I mean, we were standing there literally looking at this huge crack in the floor. It's stupid, I know, I get it. But it could happen in 2020, right? You never know what's going to happen this crazy year that we live in. So there's all this chaos that we are living in right now. And in the midst of that, out of that, come all these conspiracy theories like COVID-19. Now, I'm not saying COVID-19 is a conspiracy, but do you wear a mask or do you not wear a mask? Some of you have masks on this morning. Some of you don't have masks on this morning. Some people think that the mask is like a total government crackdown on us to take away our personal freedoms and infringe upon our rights and ultimately lead us into greater submission to the government. And some people think they're just protecting other people from a virus, right? And so what about the national anthem? Do you stand or do you kneel? If you stand now for the national anthem, are you saying that you're automatically discriminating against certain racial groups? Or if you kneel, are you saying that you can't support people who fought in wars and supported our country and of all races who gave and fought their, who gave the ultimate sacrifice and fought and died to, to secure the freedoms that we have had as a country? And what about professional, college, and even high school sports? Do you watch those games because people tend to kneel down during the national anthem on those teams? Or do you say, no, I'm going to protest the fact that they kneel down during the national anthem. I'm not going to watch the games anymore. Or do you just go, I'm not going to watch them kneel down, but I'm going to watch the game because I like sports, right? So in the midst of all that, then you had this crazy thing Thursday night or Tuesday night called a debate. But I don't know if that's actually what it was or not. I mean, who won that thing? Was it Trump or Biden or Chris Wallace? Who won the thing? You know what I mean? And so you think about all the craziness that's gone on in our year. We have lived through and we are living through a very chaotic year. And 1 Peter was written in a very chaotic time. In fact, in 64 AD, um, many believe that Nero, who was the leader of Rome at that point, that he actually burned down part of his own capital city in Rome so that he could rebuild it uh, to his glory and for his fame. And he ultimately blamed Christians in Rome for the fire. He blamed the arson on Christians because Christianity was growing in Rome at that time and he wanted to stop it and stamp it out. And so he basically turned all the citizens of Rome against Christians at that time and blamed them for the arson. So when you think you've lived through the worst of chaos, you may have to go back and put things in context because in that context, Peter writes what we're about to read. Christians are under incredible attack. They're under um, incredible scrutiny and persecution 
And into that, Peter writes the words that we're going to read together today. So I want you to stand with me out of reverence for God and his word. And you follow along silently as I read aloud here, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, and we'll read through verse 16. Peter says this, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Thank you. You can be seated this morning. So in the midst of all this chaos that Peter's living through, Peter has great wisdom for us because we too are living in a very chaotic time. And he starts by saying, therefore, and you guys know what I'm, what I'm going to say here, but anytime there's a therefore in scripture, ask yourself, what's the therefore, therefore? Well, the first 12 verses of 1 Peter are really a very eloquent discourse on all the things that we have as followers of Jesus Christ, all the benefits that Jesus Christ has granted to us, to us when we put our faith in him. And so in the midst of Peter recounting all the wonderful benefits that we have in Jesus Christ, he says, therefore, since we have all these wonderful things in our life, therefore, he gives us some imperatives in the verses we just read for how to not just survive in chaotic times and not be controlled by the chaos around us, but actually how to conquer in chaos. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. He gives us three imperatives this morning, three discoveries that I hope you'll make before we leave here in just a few minutes. And the first is this. Peter says, expect challenges. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we should expect to live through challenging times. We are living through challenging times right now. But even as believers, sometimes that's even increased because of our faith in Jesus Christ. But he says this, he says, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Literally, some translations say, gird up the loins of your mind. It's the idea that people in Jesus' time and people in Peter's time had an outer garment typically that they wore. We don't dress like this now, but they did. And the outer garment was long and flowing. And if they were going to run or work or exercise themselves in any way, they would reach down and they would begin to roll that up and tuck it into their belt so their legs would be free to move freely. That's the idea of girding up yourself. It's the idea of preparing for something. Except... Peter says, gird up your mind, prepare your mind. He says, be sober minded. Most of us have witnessed someone who's intoxicated before. And you know, when someone's intoxicated, they don't act like themselves. They don't behave as they normally do. They act like someone different because they've taken a substance into their body that now has control over the way they act and behave. They become intoxicated. He says, don't be intoxicated in your thinking, but be sober. We understand what it is to be sober. I assume all of you are sober right now, right? So you know what it is to be sober-minded, to think clearly, to not be unduly influenced by things around us. And in this situation, to not be influenced by the chaos that we see around us, not let it shape and change our thinking. So he says, expect challenges, prepare your minds, get ready for that. So think about the last nine months, all the things that have happened in our country, things that have happened here in our church. Would you say that your mindset over the last nine months has mostly been either reactive or proactive? Were you prepared? Not that you knew what was gonna happen, but when it happened, did it knock you off of your faith? Did it change your view of God? Did it somehow thwart your spiritual growth or have you been able to even continue to thrive in the midst of that? Paul says this, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. 
We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Paul could say that because Paul was sober-minded. You guys may have seen this series on TV. My wife and I watched it a while back called Alone. And Alone is a series, and I understand there's several seasons. I've only seen one season of it. But they take these people, and they drop them off in the most extreme conditions, and they're by themselves, and they have to survive. And the one that survives the longest, and they don't know what anybody else is doing, so they're by themselves. They have a camera. There's no cameraman there. They get this little satellite phone that they can call in if they want to leave and go home or if they're having medical problems or whatever. And occasionally they'll come do medical checks on them, make sure they're healthy and, and okay. But they're just dropped off with a few basic things. They don't have any food. They have to go live off the land. They have to create shelter. They have to make fire. They have to do all those things for themselves. And they're in very harsh conditions. And so the season that we watched, there were several guys that, uh, one guy, for example, was a former ranger and he was very prepared. He knew what to do. He made his shelter and he went and got his food and he stored food. And he knew how to do all this stuff. He had everything under control. And then one day, out of the blue, he's videoing himself and he's like, I'm done. I'm going home. I'm bored. I mean, I'm done. I could do this from now on, but I'm just bored. I don't want to be out here anymore. So he hit the satellite phone and they came and got him and took him home. Now, if you win, you get $500,000. And different people wanted the money for different reasons. And I guess for him, it just didn't matter anymore. And so he got bored and mentally, even though he was prepared, prepared physically, he mentally got to the place where he was like, I'm not doing this anymore. And he just tapped out. There was another guy on that show that season, and some of you may have watched it, where every day you knew he was getting closer and closer to going home. Because every day he made a video, he was crying a little more, and he was feeling sorry for himself, and he, was, he had all his food, he had his shelter, he was taken care of. He knew how to get more food, but he was like missing his family so bad. And I don't remember how many days they'd been out there. But again, he doesn't know what anybody else is doing. So he's just talking to a camera and, and he's starting to cry more and I'm missing my family and I'm just, uh, I know I need to stay out here and earn this money for us. I know we could do all these wonderful things if we had this much money and I need to stay, but I'm really getting tired of being out here. And I'm just, so every day it got a little worse, a little mentally, he got a little worse, a little worse. Finally, he tapped out going home. The guy that won the thing, I think he could have lived out there for the rest of his life. I mean, he was mentally clear. He was physically, and he's in snow and ice, and he's having to catch fish and all these crazy conditions. And, but he had lived in Siberia previously, so he kind of had it down, you know. And mentally, he had lived by himself before out in the wild, so he wasn't shaken by that. So I say that, I use that example because you see in that show the, the effects of how people think on their survival. And what Peter's saying is the same thing is true for us. If we're going to conquer in the midst of chaos, we can live through chaos, right? But if you just want to survive, that's not what he's talking about. If you want to conquer in the midst of chaos, he says you have to prepare your mind. That's where it matters. That's where the preparation takes place. And so he says you should expect challenge. Well, how do you prepare your mind for action? Well, Paul said this. He said the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. So Paul said, I want the mindset of the spirit. I want to have my mind set on the things of God, on spiritual things. Peter would say this, yes, you should expect challenges, but here's how you set your mind. Here's how you prepare your mind. Here's how you gird up the loins of your mind and become sober-minded. And that brings us to the second point, and that's this. Peter would say, not only expect challenges, but also expect grace. Say, so, well, what are you talking about? Well, he said this. He said, set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that word, set your hope, set, 
literally means to actively wait for something. Most of us are not good at, about waiting on anything. We don't like to wait on stuff. But to be active in your waiting is this positive spin on saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look forward. I'm going to focus on what's ahead of me. So if I was to ask you this morning, if you were to turn to the person next to you this morning and tell them right now, this moment, what your hope is, what would it be in? Is your hope in your career? Some of you say, well, I don't have a career. Well, your future career, what you think you're going to ultimately do. Maybe you're in a career now and you're trying to climb a ladder or you have a business and you want to expand it and do certain things too. Is that where your hope is? Is your hope in your family? Parents, is it in your kids, their success, their future success, the fact that they're going to move away from your house someday and become independent adults and not ask you for money anymore, you know, right? I mean, is that where your hope is or their success? Are you all wrapped up in their success not a bad thing, but is that where your hope is? How about this, adults? Is your hope wrapped up in your investments, your retirement account? You're going to run out of money? Do you have enough money? Or are you going to have enough money when you retire, when you stop working one day to be able to live the rest of your life without being dependent on other people? See, your hope can be in all those things. It could be in something else. And you could say, well, those don't sound like bad things. No, they're not. But those things, those things don't typically do well when there's chaos in our lives. Chaos can thwart and threaten any of those ideas I just talked about. So Peter has a better idea. He talks, about, he talks about setting your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus is revealed. Now, here's the thing about grace. When you trust Christ as your Savior, and I'm going to give you a chance to do that today at the end of the service. When you trust Christ as your Savior, you experience grace in the present. And what that looks like is you get forgiveness for all your past. So though you're in the present, everything you've ever done that's offended God up to that point, you get forgiveness for it, right? And you get security for the future because he says he promises you that you'll live with him in heaven forever. And so you get security for the future. All that happens in the present, but there is a day in the future when you will be in heaven if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You guys know that a year ago, my wife was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. And in that first couple of weeks in the hospital, she and I had some very, very serious conversations about this very thing, about heaven. Because she was like, maybe this is it. I was like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to think about that. Let's don't think about that. Let's just be positive, you know. And she was like, let's be real. I have a very serious health problem, you know. I didn't want to talk about it. You know, I just go home. It's by myself. I turn around and go back to the hospital. I was like, I don't want to be here by myself. I don't want this to be my future. I don't want anything to do with this. And we had some very serious conversations about heaven and about what she was looking forward to. Because there's no question in our, either of our minds that she's going to be with the Lord one day. She's a believer in Jesus Christ. She doesn't deserve that. She doesn't, didn't earn that. It's a gift that she received when she received salvation. So the reality is, if I ask you this morning, what are you looking forward to? We talked about some things she's looking forward to. Ma many of us, when we think of heaven, we think of loved ones that have preceded us in death. Maybe it's a parent or a grandparent or maybe a sibling or a child. And, and you think, man, I can't wait to see them again. That's what heaven is about for me. Or maybe for some of you, it's about seeing Jesus. Or maybe it's just the idea of living in a sinless environment for the first time in your life. That sounds pretty good <laughs> right now. Maybe that's it for you. But that's not what Peter said. Peter said, Set your hope completely on the grace to be revealed to you, to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In the future, in every one of your future that know Jesus Christ, there is a day when you are going to see grace with your face. You're going to see the face of God. And he's going to look at you and he's going to smile because he loves you. And he's going to grab you and hold you 
because he loves you. And you don't deserve any of that, and neither do I, because I have offended him with my sin. But because I put my faith in Jesus Christ, and many of you have done the same thing, we in our future have that day where we are going to experience actualized grace. We're going to experience, we're going to see it. We're not going to need our faith anymore. We're going to see it face to face. And that day, what Peter's saying is that day ought to cause all of us to be able to conquer regardless of whatever chaos we're going on, it's going on in our life right here, right now. Because that's a real thing in all of our future. And he says an interesting thing because he says, set your, your hope completely. It's the only time in the New Testament that word is used, completely. And you say, well, he's exaggerating because nobody does that. Why? I don't think he's exaggerating. He's saying, do something. You want to conquer in chaos? You want to know how to get through the chaos of life? Set your hope completely on that. Not on these other things I mentioned. Those things are wonderful things, but don't set your hope on those things. Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ because you won't be disappointed ever. That is going to happen in the life of every one of us who are believers. I don't know if you guys follow the voice of the martyrs or, or the organizations like them that chronicle what's happening in the lives of Christians all around the world right now. I mean, obviously there's history involved in that, but right now in our world, all around our world, there are many believers in Jesus Christ who are suffering unimaginable persecution. They've lost their families. They've lost their businesses. Talk about a retirement account. They don't have anything at the bank anymore. They're, they're persecuted. They're in a jail cell somewhere and they're tortured for their faith all because they say they put their faith in Jesus Christ and they won't renounce their faith. Now, that is something we haven't experienced in this country. Thank the Lord. And I don't hope that we do. But what if in the future you found yourself in a situation like that? You found yourself imprisoned for your faith or persecuted at that level for your faith. You wouldn't set your hope on the things we mentioned before, your career, your kids, your family, your, your retirement account. No. In that moment, I think it would be clearer. I think it would be easier to say, my hope is completely on the grace that's to be brought to me at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Future grace. Well, why not live like that now? That's what Peter's saying. Peter's saying that is the only way to conquer in the midst of a chaotic time. So I would encourage you this week to take some time and think about that. Take some time and go ahead and forecast a little bit. Think about the future. Because most of the time we go through chaos in our lives, we think, how do we get through it? We think about when the chaos will end. Well, I'll do this when this is over with. Whatever this season of my life is going to look like, well, then ultimately I'm going to do this. What Peter's saying is, go there in your mind now. Go ahead and prepare your mind. Go ahead and be sober-minded and think about that day and then let the reality of that day permeate the chaos that you're experiencing right now. So I would encourage you to find some time, your quiet time, your time with the Lord this week, and sit down somewhere and think that through and meditate on that and let the reality of that soak in and set your hope completely on the grace that he's going to reveal to us. So expect challenge, expect grace. The third thing, the last thing this morning is this, expect change. He says, don't be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. What were you like before Christ came into your life? What did you desire? For most of us, it was probably self-glory, self-promotion. Maybe we live for pleasure. I know for me, before I met Christ, the thought never entered my mind um, to please God. Most of the time, the, the, the predominant thought of my mind, I was a teenager when I trusted Christ, but the predominant thought of my mind was, what makes me happy? What can I get away with? What'll please me? It was all about me. It was never an awareness about God. And then when I got saved, that was like an instant thing in my life that changed. All of a sudden, I had an awareness of wanting to please God with my life. 
What about you? What, when he talks about the desires of your former ignorance, how does that describe you? And, and ignorance here, he's not insulting people. Sometimes we use that word to insult other people. We say, well, they're just ignorant or whatever. You know, he's literally talking about the idea of people who have an, don't have an awareness of something. The literal meaning is blindness. So the Bible says the God of this age blinds people where they don't understand the truth of the gospel. And what he's saying is that the reality is people who don't know the Lord live in a certain amount of ignorance. They're not aware of what's going on around them. We talk a lot here about personal transformation, this idea of growing in absolute dependence on God every day. And the reality is he, God wants to change us. It's a, it's a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And when you meet Christ, he makes some changes immediately, but we spend the rest of our life changing, growing, being transformed. And, and that's what he talks about here. He talks about this idea of being sanctified. Um, let me encourage you. Sometimes in our lives, when we are growing in the Lord, it's imperceptible to us. We can't see it. It happens slowly in increments, and we can't always be aware of that. But other people see the change in us, and you see the change in other people. And I would just encourage you this week to, to affirm someone, someone you know and love, somebody in your family or a friend of yours, a coworker, somebody who knows the Lord, somebody in your connect group, and just say, look, I've seen God changing your life in this way, and I want you to know it encourages me. That'd be a great gift to give somebody. I'm telling you, affirmation is one of the greatest gifts you ever can give somebody else. So I would encourage you to do that with someone this week. Paul said this, therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect, the will of God. Christy asked me this question a couple of days ago. I came in the house and she said, hey, I want to ask you something. She said, uh, why does God want to sanctify us? And I was like, couldn't you just ask me what I had for lunch? I mean, seriously? I walk in the door and that's the first, well, you're, you know, you're a pastor. You're supposed to know this stuff, right? I said, I, I know, but you seriously want me to answer that question? Yeah, I want to know why does God want to sanctify us? What, what would you have said? How would you have answered that question? Because the idea of being sanctified seems like a big church word, but it just means to be set apart. It just means this, it's this idea of transformation that God takes us where we are. He meets us where we are. He saves us when we put our trust in Jesus and he begins to change us over time. And that transformation is the idea, it's the process of sanctification in our life, of being set apart. Well, Peter says it this way. He says, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it's written, be holy for I am holy. Well, the root word for holy and the root word for sanctification, sanctify, are the same word. And so it means the same thing. God is holy. He's set apart. There's no one like him. He's unique. He's one of a kind. There's no one else. There's no other being in the universe or outside the universe like God. He's completely unique. He's holy. That's what the word means. Well, we're to be holy. We're to be set apart for his purposes, for him to work in our lives. And that doesn't happen all at once. It happens from the time we get saved to the time we go to heaven. And he's constantly working in our lives. So this is why I answered the question for her. I said, well, honey, the reason God wants to sanctify us, the reason that he doesn't take us to heaven as soon as he saves us, because he could save us and then just take us to heaven, right? But he leaves us here and he transforms us. He sanctifies us so that our lives are a witness, a testimony to other people of his power in our lives. A lot of people want to change, but don't have the power to do it. But in the gospel gives us the power to change. It gives us the power to become conformed to his image. 
So when people see my life, hopefully they see a little glimpse of Jesus Christ. Hopefully when they see your life as his follower, they see a little glimpse of Jesus Christ and they're attracted. They're attracted to that change. They're attracted to what's going on in your life. And so the real purpose for sanctification is greater gospel advancement because God loves every person. Jesus values every life. And so he wants to use you and me and what he's doing in our lives to lead more people to him. He's not willing that any would perish, the Bible says, but that all would come to salvation in Jesus Christ. So that's why he wants to sanctify us. That's why he wants to change us and make us into his image because it creates ultimately greater gospel advancement. So he says here, don't be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. In other words, change. Expect change when you're going through chaos in your life. Um, he wants to pattern us after the life of Jesus Christ and transform us. I think this idea of change relates to one specific thing specifically in our life, and that is this, that he wants to change the way that we fundamentally view other people. As Christians, not just Christians, but all people, he wants to change the way as Christians that we view other people because sometimes we view people based on their race or we view people based on their economic status or based on their age or some other label or qualifier that we put on people. And we tend to generalize and lump all people into different categories in our minds. And he wants to change that about us because that's not what God does with people. God values every human being. That is the issue, I think, that's at the heart of Black Lives Matter. Now, I don't think it's the, the heart of the founders of Black Lives Matter, don't get me wrong, but I think the issue saying Black Lives Matter is saying Black Lives have value. And Jesus would say, they absolutely do, absolutely. The whole thing that's going on with the Supreme Court right now with Amy Coney Barrett and, and getting her on the Supreme Court and doing all the work to get that happen. And there are people that oppose her because of her view of life, unborn life, valuing all life because Jesus values all life. That's really what's going on with COVID too. People want you to wear a mask and quarantine and stay six feet apart so that nothing, so they can protect human life because human life has value. The, all those things I just mentioned ultimately are about the same thing. And that is the value of human life. And Jesus made it clear what the value of human life is because he stretched out his arms and died on a cross for every human life. And he placed value, supreme value, the highest value on every human life. And he demonstrated that. So that's the way he wants us to live. That's the what he wants to do in our lives. He wants to bring that change into our lives so that we see people that way. We view people as supremely important. We don't treat people the way they act. That's what we tend to do sometimes. We treat people according to the value that God places on them regardless of how they act. That's what Christian love really is all about. And so go back to this idea that Peter mentions here, this idea of former, the desires of your former ignorance. Because all of us before we knew Jesus were truly unaware, we were truly ignorant. And Jesus, when he died on the cross, remember what he said? I forgive you people because you don't know what you're doing. You're unaware. You truly don't know that you're sacrificing the son of God up here on this cross. Because if you did, you wouldn't do it. You're unaware. And so our view of people, of their ignorance, of their blindness, ought to create in us a greater sense of compassion for them, regardless of how they act. What are you talking about, Paul? How does that hit home? Well, this is what I say, according to what Paul says here in, in Ephesians. For our struggle 
is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Some of us in the midst of chaos can begin to see people as the enemy because they're the ones causing the chaos. Does that hit home this morning? How do you view people? We have to change the way we view people. That's what God wants to bring into our lives is this idea of change. We don't war against flesh and blood. And in our former, if we could go back and think about how we viewed life before we knew Jesus Christ, we could have a little more compassion for people who don't know Jesus Christ. You see, I know I've told this story before. I'm going to share it again because I think it fits and it's so powerful. Several years ago, you remember Franklin Graham came to Longview and did a crusade. Well, before he came, months before that, he sent one of his representatives here and met with pastors and and the guy was giving an update on all the things that Samaritan's Purse was doing around the world. And at that time, ISIS was really powerful and basically had kind of taken over the Middle East. And you remember they were a terrorist organization. They did all kinds of terrible things to people. And so Samaritan's Purse had gone into Afghanistan and set up a hospital. And it was, it was divided in half. And one half of the hospital was to help people who were victims of ISIS attacks. So they would get these doctors to volunteer, take vacation time and go over there and volunteer to serve in these hospitals and patch these people up and take care of them medically and physically. And so this guy was telling us this story and he said, this lady doctor had come over there and she had spent hours, she was exhausted. She had spent hours patching these people up in this half of the hospital. And she'd gone out in the hall and just sort of slunk her down against the wall and she was just exhausted. And the director of the hospital came to her and he said, well, you know, take a break, but we still have some patients you need to see. And she goes, what do you mean? I've, I've seen everybody in that wing. I've been in there for hours. He goes, well, there's, a, there's another half of our hospital over here and we need your help over there. There's some wounded people over there too. And she said, what's, what's the difference? Why is the hospital half? He said, well, that half of the hospital is ISIS fighters. And she's like, you think I'm, what? You want me to go over there and help them? I just spent hours patching up all the trouble they caused. You think I'm gonna go over there? I flew halfway around the world to come volunteer my time. You think I'm gonna go over there and deal with the people that caused this? He said, look, just take some time, pray through it, do whatever the Lord tells you to do. If you don't wanna go over there, that's fine. But there are people that are wounded and dying over there and they need help. And that's what we do here. We help both people. So she, she prayed about it and she got up and reluctantly went to that side of the hospital and there was a guy in there and he was just freaking out and he didn't speak English and there was an interpreter in the room and she came in and began to look at him and, and assess his wounds and try to figure out how to help him. And he just kept repeating the same phrase over and over again, over and over again. And she was like, and he was just nervous and freaking out. And she looked at the interpreter and she goes, what is he saying? He keeps saying the same phrase over and over again. He keeps saying, ma'am, why would you help him? Why would you help him? Why are you helping him? He kept saying it over and over again because you're an American and he can't understand why you would help him. And she said, I realized in that moment why I had flown halfway around the country or halfway around the world. Because I looked at my interpreter and I said, tell him this, I came over here to help him and other people because Jesus values his life and wants to save him. So take ISIS out of it and put Antifa in there. Somebody else in there that you don't like. Some enemy, somebody who's causing the chaos that we're living in right now, put them in there. Following Jesus, even in chaotic times, 
brings change into our life. He wants to change fundamentally the way that we view other people. You got to ask yourself the question, are you really willing to follow Jesus into something like that? He wants to change us and use us in that time. And let me tell you something, if you've never experienced faith in Jesus Christ, I want to tell you something. You're not here by accident this morning, whether you're watching online or you're here in the room. God has you here on purpose because he values your life that much. And he wants you to have a relationship with him that lasts from here all the way through eternity so that you'll have that moment in your future where you'll experience his grace face to face. He loves you that much. He values that much. He gave his life for you. He traded his life for your life. And he's already done everything it, means, everything it takes for you to have forgiveness for your sin and to go to heaven ultimately someday, but to have a relationship with him that lasts forever. He's given you access to God where you can talk face-to-face to God right now. And he wants you to have that, but you have to decide. And if you decide against Jesus, if you reject Jesus, you just need to know the only thing waiting for you is judgment. And he doesn't want you to be judged. Before you die, he wants you to make a decision to put your trust in him because you don't want to face judgment without Jesus. And I'm here to tell you, that's the scariest thing that anybody can ever imagine. You don't have to face that. The good news, the gospel is that whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so this morning, I want to give you a chance to do that. Somebody did that when I was 15 years old in my life, the greatest offer anybody's ever made me. You have all your sin forgiven. You can have heaven as your home. You can have a personal relationship with God and he will be with you for the rest of your life through the Holy Spirit living inside of you. So this morning, I'm gonna ask everybody just to bow their head and close their eyes. It's 12 o'clock, I'm just about done, okay? This is very important. I'm gonna ask no one to leave during this time. You guys that are watching online, this is very important for you as well. If this morning you'd say, I'm really not sure if I'm saved. I'm really not sure if this was my last day. I'm not sure if I'd go to heaven or not. You can be sure today And that's why you're here, to make this decision, to decide to follow Jesus Christ. So I'm just going to lead you in calling on the name of the Lord. The Bible says whoever will do that will be saved. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father unless he comes through me. Very exclusive. Jesus said that. That's what we believe. That's what we preach. So if you're ready today to put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can simply say this to him because he knows your heart. You can simply say, dear God in heaven, I know that I have sinned against you. And I don't want to anymore. I'm sorry for my sin. I abandon it. I reject it. I'm not holding on to any of it. I want to be saved. I want to go to heaven when I die. I want to have a relationship with you right now. I want to be changed. I want you to transform me. I want you to help me to be a light to other people for you. Thank you for sending Jesus for me. I believe in him. I trust in him. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.